Wow. Thank you, Angela, so much. Thank you, Brother Ryan. Thank you so much. All right, y'all find 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, and uh, we're going to try to finish up this uh, first section about man's wisdom. We talked about the success of the church being unity in the body of Christ. Then, now we're looking at man's wisdom, and man's wisdom being the final nail in the coffin. And really, we spent last Sunday morning talking about, Paul says here, where is the scribe, where is the philosopher, uh, where is the debater? And so we looked at scholars, we looked at philosophers, and if you will boil all the problems that you see on the news every day down to one thing, you can pretty much uh, talk about the educational system over the last 20 to 30 years in America. We're in the mess that we're in today because of what's being taught in our colleges. The professors have taken us down a road, the scholars and the philosophers and the debaters of the age, those who are unbelievers have taken a turn for the worse, and it's still going that way. <clears throat> you say, Brother Jerry, how in the world could we have gotten here? Well, I want to tell you, if you look at the things that are being said today, that you read every day, you'll understand that it's man's wisdom. And man's wisdom is what's doing that. And man is not only in trouble with his wisdom, God is also, in, in the book of Thessalonians, he, the Lord himself, through Paul, says that God has sent a, a strong, powerful delusion so many people believe what they believe today because God has sent that power of delusion. Now, let me say, I've heard people say, these people are idiots. These people are stupid. Now, I want to tell you, they're not. Most of these folks are very intelligent. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with them. The spirit, that strong, powerful delusion has been sent to them by God himself. God's the one that's doing it. Like I heard this week, and, and you've always heard this your whole entire life, <laughs> two plus two equals it, it's never going to equal anything else. But now, 2 plus 2 equals 4 is white supremacy. Listen to a woman last night trying to explain that on the news and to tell us why 2 plus 2, well, we really don't know that 2 plus 2 is 4. That's just what we've created it to mean. Well, no, 2 things plus 2 things is 4 things. It's not 5. And it's not white supremacy. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with color. It has a lot to do with wokeism today and man's wisdom. And so they want you to say, well, if 2 plus 2 can be 5, then a man could actually be a woman. Are you making the connection? And so they'll use these people that are out there using worldly wisdom. It has nothing to do with race, but it has everything to do with us following God and the truth. And we're going to talk about the truth. You're going to see, uh, again, we're, we're the, the philosopher and the scholar and the debater. Now we're going to pick right back up, and we're going to go to verse number 21 this morning. And you're going to see. Now, look, pastors, I want to talk to your heart about the truth. The truth is what saves you. You understand? And, and we're going to preach the truth here. So Paul says, let's just go to verse uh, if you'll look in verse 19, he says, the Lord says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will set aside the understanding of the experts. And that's what's happening. The Lord has made fools of these people. And I told you last week that I really believe the government of the United States of America is one of the institutions that God is making fools of those people that are in the government. God is displaying his wisdom and the foolishness of man through the government. 
I mean, it's ridiculous what's happening. Where is the philosopher? Where's the scholar? Where's the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolishness? If you cannot see that that passage of Scripture has come true right now in your eyes, then you have received the spirit of delusion yourself. And so I'm trying to reach you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you can't get it, you need to start praying that God would reveal the truth to you because God's blinded your eyes. And I'll promise you this. If you'll turn from your sins, God will, God will receive you with grace. Now look, verse number 21. Here's where we're starting today. For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believed through the foolishness of the message preached. God is saving men through the thing that man thinks is the most foolish thing. Many people not here this morning worshiping Christ because they think that what I'm doing right now is foolishness. And the Lord says, I've chosen to save men through foolishness. And then he says, for the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks, the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called both Jew and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. That's what he is to you and me who know him. He's the power of God and the glory of God to us. Because God's foolishness is wiser than, than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Now let's just, let's just launch from there. How ironic that man thinks he's so smart, but in John 1.10 it says that he was in the world, and though he was in the world and that he created the world, man in his own wisdom did not recognize who God was. And so the one who created the universe comes into our world and lives among us through the virgin birth. God leaves his throne. Spirit, God is spirit. And those who worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. And he comes through the incarnation to this world, and man didn't even recognize him. We're really brilliant. But many of us did recognize who he was, and many of us do know that, and we hold to it. How ironic that man's wisdom is so great, they think, yet they call the Son of God a devil. They call Jesus a drunk. They called him a sinner. God even makes it even more ironic that he chooses to save people through the foolishness of preaching. Look at the, ver the word there. It says that he comes and he says, we have brought this to you through the preaching of the gospel, through the message that was preached. This is the Greek word kerugma. The Greek word kerugma has literally turned itself into uh, a whole theological thought. Now the word itself in its basic meaning means to preach or to herald. And so, so Paul is saying that God has chosen to save man through preaching. How many of you were saved from hearing a message preached out of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Uh, all of you should have just raised your hand. Because if you didn't hear the word of God preached, then you didn't get saved. You okay? That's where the message is. It's in the, it's in the teaching and the preaching. The word uh, kerugma itself literally has about four, five, six. It's even much more than that. Meanings as we go through. The Greek word means proclamation. It means to preach. But, but in the book of Acts, we have these... Uh, we begin to see these formations of theology as we go through the book of Acts. Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. His mission, number two, attested by mighty works. His crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, the promise of his parousia, which is the Greek word for his return. 
So as you see, basically what the kerygma is, is how I very simply explain it to you many times, is the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the return of Jesus Christ. It's everything that has the essentials of the message of the gospel in it. That's the kerygma. And so it's very unique that just in this one little Greek, Greek word right here, Paul says, listen, God has chosen to change the entire universe, the world, and your life personally on a personal level through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And man, in his great wisdom, missed that. That is amazing, isn't it? James tells us this, who's wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good deeds. If a man has his religion or his Christianity and you can't see it in his deeds, then he didn't get it. Yes, by deeds done in humility, that comes from wisdom. Your deeds come from wisdom. You're going to find that most of the things that we know and believe revolve around the truths of the the wisdom. But if you harbor uh, bitterness, envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Oh, wow. And then he says, such wisdom doesn't come from heaven, but it is earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's devilish. Do you know that a pastor that's not preaching the word is actually preaching what the devil wants him to preach? If he's preaching man's wisdom, it is the final coffin in the church of Jesus Christ. Wherever he's pastoring, he'll kill that church if he brings worldly wisdom into it and doesn't preach the word of God. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. When a man gets full of himself, you just watch. He is headed for destruction. If you take a church that's growing and doing great and they get them a good liberal pastor, a good woke liberal pastor who's going to get out there and just tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear, well, you can just shut the door on it. You can write Ichabod on the, uh, Ichabod on the front door. The glory has departed. It'll be gone. It'll, get, it'll run itself in the ground and it'll be terrible. Proverbs sixteen twenty five. there's a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end it leads to death. There are many people who are going to take their scholarship, they're going to take their debating, and they're going to take their philosophy to hell with them. It's very simple. Ecclesiastes 10, 2, the heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. You know, I'll just put that together if you want to. Even as he walks along the road, the fool lacks sense and shows everyone how stupid he is. That's the word of God, not your pastor. In Romans 1.21, listen very carefully. Well, Brother Jerry, what about all the people that, that don't know? What about the people that never heard? Listen very carefully to the Word of God. And by the way, while I'm right here, if you'll just quit listening to the, every Tom, Dick, and Harry out there in the world that says something, you think, oh, well, he's in a pulpit, he's speaking the truth. It's right here in the book. If you'll just listen to the book, the book will tell you what the truth is. What about all these people that never heard? No, listen to the Word of God. Listen to the Word of God. For although they knew God... Although they what? Oh, they knew God. How can you look at the design of this universe and not know that there's a creator? You can take some old fella sitting on a stump in the deepest, darkest bush, and when the, when the scientists get there to study this people group, guess what they're doing? They're worshiping. They have a means and a mode of sacrifice. That they, they have rules in their community. All of that is within us. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God. They did not give thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Men's hearts get darkened no matter where they live when they reject the truth. That's what happens to them. Although they claim to be wise, Paul says they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals. In other words, they forsook the knowledge that God gave them about himself and worshiped sticks. How can you take a piece of wood and take part of it and cook your dinner on it and carve an image out of the other half and worship it? That's man's wisdom in verse 22 and 23. I want to say you just get what you ask for. Today, it's all about the miracles. I've had people, oh, Pastor, you don't believe in miracles? I say, yeah, I believe in miracles. God does miracles every day. Every time the sun comes up, there's a miracle. But your idea of what a miracle is and my idea of what a miracle is is two different things. And you think God's a bellhop. And he's just in heaven to meet all your little specific needs because you're so special. Well, no, we live in a sinful world where there's consequences to people's iniquity. People want miracles. They want safety. They want comfort. He says the Jews want miracles and the Greeks are prideful. They want intelligence. The Jews were looking for miraculous signs and the Gentiles wanted sophists. Man, I did something this week. I thought, man, I'm going to check Paul on this right here. And I looked at how many Greek philosophers lived in the same day as Paul did. If you'll Google it this week, you'll see that pastor's telling you the truth. There are hundreds and hundreds of names that unless you could win on Jeopardy, you're probably got not, not going to know any of those people. But I could, rem- I could remind you of uh, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. You hear those famous names, but I want to tell you, you Google it, you'll see there's uh, hundreds of men in the day, and people listen to them, and they're still here today. They're the people that you see on the news all the time. They're the sophists. The Greek word is Sophia. It, it means sophist. It's the word for wisdom. They're people who are pontificating on television telling you what you ought to believe. They're the smartest men of men. They're the men of men's. The men's of men, they want to tell you. We're smarter. Just listen to me when all the time we should be listening to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm preaching Christ crucified. I want to tell you, when your pastor stands in this pulpit, it's about a man who was beaten bloody. He was beaten And I'm asking you for all the passion and energy that you have to follow Jesus Christ. This is not some sissy milk toast religion that I'm talking about. I'm talking about surrendering your life and giving up everything for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel. And Paul says that, that I'm preaching Christ crucified. And he says it's a stumbling block to so many. The Greek word is scandalon. We get our word scandal from it. When a man hears me preach the gospel and he rejects it, it's a scandal on. It's a scandal to him. And it's a block. It's a stumbling block. And he's tripping over it. And if you don't believe what I'm saying today is true, I want to say you need to fall on the rock before the rock falls on you. You need to quit tripping over the stumbling block. He's God Almighty and he's asking you to take up your cross. This, this word, the preaching of the cross and the message of the truth is a stumbling block to disobedient people who are wise in their own eyes. And the church today thinks it knows better than God. And there's some preachers, one of them right across town. He's got 40,000 members. And he thinks because he's drawing a big crowd, he's gotten too big for his britches. And he thinks the word of God is not applicable in the pulpit anymore. He's even uh, just done away with the Old Testament altogether. Well, I want to tell you, Folks, it's from from the beginning to the end, and it's still relevant. You can't even get to the New Testament without the Old Testament. It all intertwines. You can't even understand the book of Revelation without the Old Testament. 
It's all there. It's there for a reason. And if the stumbling block is foolish to you, maybe you just don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're just lost. So don't tell me I'm foolish. Well, I'll tell you, I know what I am. I will to tell you, the average Baptist can't take the truth. we got a bunch of spiritual crybabies, spiritual truth crybabies in the church today. Uh, people just love to tell me, oh, Brother Jerry, preach it, man. Preach it, man. And then when I preach it, they get ticked off. I'm serious. It hadn't been too long ago. Somebody walked right out that door. I was standing out there. They grabbed me by my, my, my lapel. Preach it. Those people need to hear it. That's what it's told. Two weeks later, they got mad and left. Two weeks. They made it two weeks. You know what that was about? The Lord dumped the truth in their lap. That's what happened. It hit them. And then they got mad at me. Listen, the Bible says this. I call this the preacher's imperative. That's the title of the sermon that I preach. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4. In the presence of God. What? Paul says, Timothy, I got something to tell you, and I want to tell you in the presence of God and these witnesses. He says, I want to tell you, there's one who will judge the living and the dead. That ought to get the preacher's attention. Y'all all right? When I come here this morning, I belong to him, and I'm responsible to him. And you can get mad at me if you want to, but I'm responsible to the Lord, and I'm going to pay for it if I don't. I'd rather you get it than me. Y'all all right? <laughs> I want you paying attention because he says, Timothy, I am calling you before God and I'm telling you to preach the word. Karupsan, Tunlagon, preach the word. Don't come with all this silliness. Preach the word. That's why I gave it for you. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. I'm here to encourage you this morning. I want, to, I want you to hear the truth of the gospel and get encouraged. I want your hearts to be filled. I, I want you to learn to live for Christ and be healthy and whole and solid. I want you, your lives to be good and your families to be good and, and you to stand tall in Jesus. I want him to prosper you and pour his grace out upon you. And you only get that from the truth. He says, for a time will come, though, when men, they won't put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them people, false teachers that will tell them what they want to hear, what their itching ears want to hear. They, they, they want to they know what to hear. Literally, two plus two is five. That's what I wanted to hear. A man can be a woman. No, he can't. It's not true. And the hardest hour of the week for you is right now. It's right now because you have to listen to the Holy Spirit. Not everything I say this morning applies to you. You all right? Some people get mad about me about things and say, Pastor, you just socked it to me on Sunday. And, and you just got in my business. I said, I didn't get in your business. The Holy Spirit got in your business. I don't know what's going on in your life. As a matter of fact, I, I'm just preaching the Word. See, this pastor does expository preaching. I'm going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And I don't know where I'm going to end and where I'm going to start next week. It's already prepared. And so if you got convicted about something, let me, let me tell you something happened. The Lord lined it up for you. Don't blame me. The truth just became a stumbling block to you. You know why the sanctuary is not full at Woodlake sometimes? Because they can't take the truth. We got truth crybabies. They come here, they hear it, and they say, I can't take that. If you don't believe me, ask somebody. I, I'll, I'll tell you what. You come to me, and I'll prove it to you. I'll tell you. Somebody, one of our members was sharing with somebody in one of our events, and they said, well, why don't you come? Don't you love Brother Jerry? She said, oh, I love Brother Jerry. I just can't stand the conviction while he's preaching. Awesome. If you don't believe it, the person that got told that's in this room right now. Y'all all right? Look at verse 24. To the called, 
his power and wisdom. He is not a stumbling block to you if you're saved. If the truth is a stumbling block and a scandal on, you might not be saved. Here in 17 words, you can't find another powerful passage in all the New Testament right here. In 17 words, Paul talks about, I mean, this, this right here should have blown everybody in, the, in Israel, just simply just blown them away just right here in just a few words right here. And so Paul's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles getting saved. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called both Jew and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. To the who? To the Gentiles? In 17 words, Paul just hit the Jewish people and said, listen, the Gentiles are saved too. And Christ crucified who's been a stumbling block to you, you were blinded so the Gentiles could come in. And right here in a very quick 17 words, depending on what your translation is, Paul claims that Jesus is God's power and wisdom, not only for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. Power and wisdom literally are not a thing, folks. They are a person. Listen, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with an eloquence of superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. To preach man's wisdom is to ask the listeners to put their faith and their trust in the preacher's homiletical skills and man's wisdom. I'm not going to do that. Amen. Colossians 2.8. See to it. Listen this is who you are in Christ. Listen, you ought to leave today. Somebody ought to be skipping out the door. When I, when I, I mean, when we get finished, somebody should be skipping out the door. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. That's man's wisdom, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all of the fullness of the deity lives. He is God. Jesus is God. And that, that's not going to change. And you can be mad with Jesus forever and hate him. And, and, and oh, I, I don't want anything to do with God, but I love Jesus. No, if you love Jesus, you love God. If you love God, you love Jesus. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus. Now, get this. This is really good. Listen. And you have been given fullness in Christ. The King James says, and Jesus is in you. So if Jesus is in you, you have all the fullness of Christ. You have all the fullness of God. I want to tell you, if you want the real deal, grab a hold to the truth. Don't use the gospel message literally as a stumbling block. Receive it, love it, hold on to it, embrace it. For all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. Who is the head over every power and authority? Man's wisdom literally corrupts everything. Uh, man's wisdom corrupts a man's mind. It, it corrupts his education. It corrupts his relationships. It corrupts his spirit. It corrupts the economy of the United States and America and the world. It corrupts uh, philosophy, our worldviews, our ability, our successes, our power. Man's wisdom corrupts everything that it touches. The, the, the Word of God and the wisdom of the Word of God, literally, uh, it, as it's brought to us, is, is diametrically opposed to man's wisdom. It is the opposite. How else could we explain what we're about to look at? Look in verse number 20, 25. The foolishness of God is stronger than man's strength. This verse is a case in point. 
to attach weakness and foolishness to God is arresting. It's striking. You say, God's foolishness? What do you mean? His weakness is actually strength. He came in weakness, and look what God's weakness by him coming in human form for you and me. It says that Jesus set aside everything to come to be a human, to die for you and for me. Oh, listen, Proverbs 16, 32. Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Wow. You see, that's opposite. Today we would say, oh, no, strength is you go in, you whoop everybody in the room, and you take over. But the, the scriptural answer is a man who can control his temper and his tongue and talk things through and get things settled. You see, that's humility, that's weakness. But yet it is spiritual and it's more powerful. Do you know that you have the most powerful thing in you right now? You have the ability within your heart to share the gospel with someone this morning. When you leave from here, you can go to lunch and share with your waitress who doesn't know Jesus. You can share with them, and they'll get saved and be in heaven for all eternity. What else in this world is that powerful? You have nuclear power. You have nuclear gospel message power within your heart to share with somebody else. Now, that's powerful, folks. That's the spiritual aspect of what Paul is actually saying. Man's strength says God's weakness says give. Man says take it, just take it. But God's weakness says don't take, give. Man's wisdom says it's, it's rational prudence and calculated research. And Jesus says walk by faith. There's a difference in God's wisdom. If you give me, a man full of Jesus, relying on the Holy Spirit, I'll take him over an intelligent devil any day of the week. Look at verse number 26. Paul's not being cruel. He just says this. This is, this is God's wisdom. Paul is very serious. He said, think back, literally think back to what you were. He said, brothers, consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful not many uh, of noble birth. Paul says, listen, y'all weren't, y'all weren't a whole lot when the Lord called you. That's humbling. You know what I am standing here this morning? The least of these. I'm absolutely nothing. God could get anybody to do this. He can call anybody, raise anybody up to do this. Paul's not being cruel. He's just saying... When the Lord found you, you weren't anything. What were you capable of when God called you? What good were you? But look what the Lord did to you when he got you. Look, I mean, the Lord did. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in this world to save the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant to despise in the world. What is, what is viewed as nothing to bring nothing, what is viewed as something, so that no one can boast in his presence. You see, God chooses a man who is nothing, a person who is nothing, who is despised, to preach the gospel, to have this power, to prove that man's wisdom is absolutely nothing. God does something great in you. What were you when you were called? Now, look, y'all look at your neighbor and say, look at you, man. You are something else. Look at the person says, you something, man. You something. Did you know that? The person next to you now in Christ with the power of God, they are something. They are filled with some great things. Those, these folks are absolutely awesome in Christ. 
tell a man, I can't believe what God's doing in your life. You just say, hey, man, do you see what God is doing? Before Christ, you were void of spiritual wisdom and power. Now you have both of those things. You have the royal blood of Jesus Christ running in you. There weren't any blue bloods getting saved. Now you're, the, you're a family member of the king. As a matter of fact, the scripture calls you a saint. Before, Paul says, uh, we were wise in our flesh. Man, that, that wasn't doing us any good in verse 27 and 28. Now, see, listen, I'm foolish, I'm weak, and I'm not tooting my own horn, but I want to tell you, there's people that look at me that I'll meet them. I hadn't, I've seen these people in 30 years, and they said, they said what, are you, what are you doing with yourself these days? I said, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for 35 years, and I do weddings, I do funerals, and they say, I can't believe you're doing stuff like that. I remember you in high school, you were an idiot. And I was like, well, you're right. I was the lowly. In verse 27, he uses the word lowly. It it means base. It means insignificant. I mean, that's a nobody. He says, I'm the the despised things, the least esteemed things. And, And the Lord says, this is what I'm doing. I take the least of all things and I use those things to confound the wise. People look, when I meet those people, they do, they look, they look dazed. They're like, you? You didn't, you didn't like anything but sports and chasing skirts. You didn't even have a brain. Most of the time when I saw you, you were so high, we didn't know where you were going, and you didn't either. I met the man who saved my soul and turned my life around. And, and as soon as that happens in your life, Jesus is more concerned about you as a person than anyone in the world. He wants to fix you. And he not only fixes your heart, your mind, and your soul, he begins to, every aspect of your life, God begins to organize it. Well, you see people get saved, and, you know, they're, they're doing this in their line of work. And then they find their Savior, and he says, no, that's not what I intended for you to do. I had you doing this. And your whole life changes. Their, their jobs change. Their geography changes. Their friends change. Everything changes. You're born again. You're, you're born anew. God fixes you. That's what he does. Give me the least esteemed nobody that you can find. Lead him to Jesus. Let him answer the call of God. Get spiritual. Learn spiritual disciplines. Bring obedience to Jesus into his life. Have the power of God fall on him. And you can sit back and watch him step on hell. Y'all all right? When we get to chapter 4, Paul's going to explain it through sarcasm, what happened to him. Verse 29. <clears throat> Why would God do this? I want to tell you. You remember when I started this, I, I, the wisdom of God. Ephesians 3.10. His intent, watch. His intent, he's talking about the church in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. Paul's talking about the church, and he says the intent of the church was that God would display the manifold wisdom of God through the church so that principalities and powers would be ashamed. They would be put in their place. And you being here this morning, listen, you ought to feel good about this. You being here this morning worshiping Jesus is putting the principalities and the powers in the underworld in their place. You are proving the power and the wisdom of God. You say, well, what is the wisdom of God? Now, listen very carefully. We're going to get to this, but I'm going to give you a little preview of this. The wisdom of God, the greatest thing that displays the wisdom of God, most people would immediately say, creation. We display the manifold wisdom of God. We do. But the greatest thing that displays the manifold wisdom of God is the plan of salvation. 
No one could have redeemed man after he fell, defeated death, hell, and the grave, will allow you to be born again, made anew, and make you, listen, after sin, fit for glory in heaven with him. That's the manifold wisdom of God. No one could have come up with that plan but an infinite, all-wise, all-knowing, omniscient, omnipresent God. That could not have happened anywhere else. God will not allow man to take his glory, give him the glory, and leave turning the water to wine up to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, Lord, I'm weak. I can't do this. This is spiritual truth. Listen to me. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, in that case, I delight in my weakness, in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Folks, that's the wisdom and the power of God. When you are weak, the power of God will rest upon you. See, I am insignificant. I'm the despised things. I was the thing that anyone would have looked at in high school and college and said, that won't amount to anything. But God said, I'm going to take that weak and insignificant fool and I'm going to fill him with my spirit and use him for the glory of God. I'm going to get his mind, his heart, his soul, and his passion and use it for the kingdom. Get verse number 30. You don't think that you're something now? Listen to me. Verse number 30. This is so beautiful. But it is from him that you are in Christ. Could man's wisdom put you in Christ? Who became God-given wisdom for us? Our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Listen, you want to know what God's wisdom has done for you, not man's wisdom? Man's wisdom could never have brought the true spiritual wisdom to you. You understand, if you're saved, what I've been preaching this morning, you got it. You understand it. And you'll hang on to it. And as a matter of fact, it means so much to you, you'll die for it. You would never have done that without Jesus. The spiritual truth is real to you because of God's wisdom being revealed to you in the plan of salvation. Righteousness. You've been justified in Christ. What is it in this world of man's wisdom that literally could redeem a soul? Any preacher that's not preaching the plan of salvation, God's greatest display of of his wisdom is not leading people into justification. We cannot be justified by man's wisdom. It is God's wisdom. Holiness and purity. Would you say to me that there's a measure of holiness and purity in your life? I want to tell you, I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I want to be, but I'm a long way from home, baby. I do obey the Lord. Many times I do fail. My saying to people is this. uh, Although I used to run to sin, now I run from it, even though sometimes I'm overcome by it. That's holiness. I want the presence of God in my life. Redemption. Paul talks about redemption. Could you have been ransomed from hell? Could you have been ransomed from your sin without the wisdom of God, without the plan of salvation? No. That's what God's wisdom brought to you. Did man's wisdom ever do? None of that did that for you. Look in verse 31. Boy, I like this. I like the way this reads in the original. This is what it says. That as according to as it is written, he that glorieth in the Lord... Let him glory. I'm a little motorcycle outside one day. Daddy, I begged for this little motorcycle. My first little motorcycle was a Yamaha 80. The 
first day I had it, I put 400 miles on it in the backyard. It's not preacher talk. I'm telling you serious. My daddy came home from work and said, good night, boy. <laughs> what did you do? And uh, he bought me a 55-gallon drum and put gas in it. He said, get on it, boy. And so we got it there at the house. And I said, daddy, I'm ready to ride it. I'm ready to ride it. And I won't, I won't, never, I won't never forget. He said, he said, well, get on it, boy, and go. And I said, Daddy, can I, I'd be in, can I ride my motor scooter? He said, go on, boy, get on it and go. Ride that thing. I want to tell you, I like that. It compares to this verse right here. If you want to glorify Jesus, well, get on it, boy. I mean, get after it. Have you ever, heard, you ever had your daddy say, oh, that's old country saying, well, get after it, son. He said, I'm going to climb that tree. The cat was up there, you know. The cat stuck in the tree and said, they can't get the cat down. I said, Daddy, I'm going to climb a tree and get the cat. He get after it, boy. He said, I like to see this. You're going to kill yourself. It's, you know, this was before funny videos ever came around, you know. It's like, and then he'd tell somebody, this good southern saying, Sanford, you like this. That boy clumb up that tree and got that cat. What's he going to do? Country people are the best, man. Where can you find the word clum? You can't find that anywhere. Some of y'all have actually said, that boy done growed up. Get after it. You want to glorify God? Get after it. He gets glory from the weak and the insignificant things. Now, Paul, let me pull up the big picture and we're done. Divisions, quarrels in the church, picking out worldly leaders to follow, and man-made wisdom, Paul said, that will destroy a church. In your notes, there's tons of quotes here. There's two, three pages of quotes from Spurgeon on what true wisdom actually is. Let me tell you how man's wisdom works and what it'll do to people. There was a, there was a young man that came to church here. He brought his family. He was friends with somebody else, and he came and just happened. I was preaching through Genesis. We're talking about creation. They visited probably three months. And then one Monday morning, he called me and said, heard you preaching yesterday. We were there. You almost had us. And I was going to join the church. But you said something yesterday that I, I just can't join the church. And I said, I got to thinking, what in the world did I say yesterday? You know, I said, but I'm used to ticking folks off, so it's all right. But I said, what was it that rubbed up against you so bad? He said, well, you said you're a young earth creationist. I said, well, yes, sir, I am. I believe we've been here about 10, 15,000 years at the most. I said, God created it looking old. And I said, I don't think you have the scientific proof otherwise. <laughs> so he says, well, we're going to leave because of that. I said, well, you may as well go now because there was something else coming, I'm sure, that was, was going to get you so. <laughs> So he said, no, we've been here billions of years. I says, well, if you can prove that, I'd like to hear it. Here's what he said. I can't deny what I see. Okay? Can't deny what I see. I says, well, let me tell you what the scripture says. We walk by faith, not by sight. And you can take a Christian scientist who loves Jesus with all his heart, and you take an atheist who's an evolutionist, and that scientist that's, that knows Jesus will destroy everything they say. It is, 
evolution is the biggest, fattest lie that's ever been presented upon the American people and the world. And people believe that not because it's true. They believe it because they don't want God to exist. And they have some serious problems in evolution that's not being taught in schools and everything else. But I want to tell you, man's wisdom is going to carry a lot of people to hell. You can go to the Grand Canyon and go down into the bottom of the Grand Canyon and you can look at the layers and you can literally see of the sediment how the water ran off and made those layers after the flood of Noah. You can see it. It's there. When I worked at Plant Vogel, when I was a young man in the pipe trade, before the Lord called me into ministry, in Waynesboro, Georgia, we're 300 and something miles from the coast. And they were digging the foundation, and they dug down under there to put those reactors in there. And guess what they found? Seashells. Thousands and thousands of pounds of seashells. How did that get there? Well, you see, the ocean used to come up into here. No, it did not. No, it did not. The flood of Noah brought those seashells up there. They found fish bones in the tops of the mountains in Chile. How those fish bones get in the top of the mountain up there? Not just one or two. Bunch of fish bones. When the water receded in Noah's flood, the fish got trapped up there. Man's wisdom will lie to you. Lee, Lon Woodrum says this. <clears throat> a United Press survey found that the typical American is a 27-year-old who does not read one book a year. He's materialistic, satisfied with small pleasures, bored with theological truths, Although he may attend church 27 times a year, he's not interested in the supernatural. He's concerned with neither heaven or hell. In fact, he has no interest whatsoever in, in anything other than in immorality. He doesn't concern himself with immortality. His principal interests are football, hunting, fishing, and car tinkering. You know what man's wisdom has done for man? It's made man plan more for a two-week vacation than planning for eternity. And I want to tell you this morning, Jesus is coming. Amen. Jesus Christ is coming. Amen. And Jesus can save the transgenders. He can save the homosexuals. He saved me. He can save party boys. He can, he can save wayward teenagers. He still heals. He's still powerful. He's still on the throne. And he is coming. And I warn you with every fiber of my being. He is my best friend. He has changed my life. He has literally taken me. People are so mad and so angry and so hateful and hatred of God. I want to tell you, he has never done me wrong, although I have totally disobeyed him, totally not done what I've been told to do, failed him in so many ways. When I was unfaithful, he was faithful. How could you do that? We're coming upon Easter. He died for you on the cross as the perfect sacrifice to forgive you of your sins. Pastor is going to stand right here today, and I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you're in this room and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, would you come and say, Pastor, please lead me to Christ. 
I want to know this Savior. I want to know this God. And I want to remove this stupor off of my heart and my mind. And I want God's wisdom to thrill and fill my soul. Maybe you've been visiting and you thought, I'm going to join Woodlake. Today's the day we're going to come pile in there and we're going to help work and build a kingdom. Amen? Amen. Maybe you just need to come pray and uh, maybe you just need to see your family members saved, whatever it may be. I hope God stirred your heart today. He stirred mine. And I'm just going to pray for you as you come, okay? This is, this is God's time. This is your time to do business with him. We call this the invitation in the Baptist church. I'm not going to come to you. That's why we call it the invitation. You have to come to me and say, Pastor, please help me. I don't have anything to offer but Jesus. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, we 